New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Today I'm hosting Dr. Elizabeth Satoris. She's an evolution biologist and a futurist and the author of many books, including one with Willis Harmon, Biology Revisioned. Thank you so much for joining us on the New Dimensions Cafe, Elizabeth. Let's begin by talking about why we might need more transparency in these times. That's a favorite topic of mine, actually, Justine, because we have seen cultural transparency kicking in very rapidly in the very recent years, Uh, starting with the Enron scandal, for example. We started finding out what corporations were doing, and the dirty laundry got aired, if you like, through those various corporations. Uh, And then we had the Catholic Church fiasco, where suddenly transparency came out, and again, the dirty laundry was aired. And and, uh, then now we're getting, with WikiLeaks, we're getting government transparency, where suddenly all these records are coming to light, and people are understanding what's going on around the world in diplomacy missions and all kinds of things. So I've been reflecting quite a lot on what is the meaning of all that transparency coming into our culture. Now, on another note, I um, have worked a lot with indigenous peoples, and one of the things I found there was that a number of those cultures did a lot of what we call telepathy. I call it communion rather than communication. On a third note, my guru is J. Allen Boone, who wrote a book called Kinship with All Life, in which he describes learning from Hollywood's first movie star dog, uh, with whom he was just awed by this dog, um, and was like, it made himself the humble pupil of this dog when he had to take care of it while the trainer was away for six what, weeks. What's it, a dog that we would know? Strongheart was his Strongheart. name. This is before yes. Rington, Tin, uh-huh. and Lassie. It's, this is like 1920s, 30s into 40s, I think. Anyway, this he was uh, learned from this dog direct mind transmission by making himself the humble pupil of the dog, not elevating himself to a superior position he was able to, as he said, have hours of deep philosophical conversations every day with this dog, not as man and dog talking to each other, but as the universe talking us to each other. In other words, in a complete transparency, in the sea of universal consciousness, the connection was made between two intelligent living beings, and they could trade all kinds of amazing information. So native people could do it. Man and dog can do it. And then Boone wrote three other books trying this out on other species and stuff and found out why rattlesnakes don't bite Indians and <laughs> stuff like that. They're in communion. And, uh, and then the third thing of the cultural transparency coming in. Now, I want to add one more component to that, and that's young people talking on cell phones all day texting. What they've invented is the first alphabet in human history of written language 
of emotions, the emoticons, these little symbols of devils and smiley faces and mad faces and stuff, these are symbols in an alphabet of emotions. At the same time, the young people strip down the verbal language to very bare bones kind of shorthand so that the emotional alphabet has equal weight with the actual words. Now imagine this, kids all day long texting each other around the world and using the emoticons, you resonate to that emotion. So if the young lady is texting, I really hate my mother today because she won't let me wear that skirt that shows my belly button or, or Julie's trying to steal my boyfriend or whatever and punctuates it with these symbols, the girlfriend at the other end is resonating to that and feeling the same emotion. This connects them non-locally in such a way that I think the mental transmission can kick in. Many children seem to be born with this ability now. Kindergarten teachers report groups of children doing group projects and not having to talk to each other at all, knowing what to do with each other. So some of them are born this way and some of them are learning to have this kick in. Now imagine what this means. Imagine that if all people could read each other's minds, what it means to let someone walk through your mind means you have to be transparent. You can't have secrets. You can't be hiding things. If the whole culture goes transparent, we have a whole new world. I'm hoping someone will write the science fiction story that may become real shortly that says, what happens if people can't deceive each other anymore? So we, if we couldn't deceive each other, then we couldn't actually... Um, plot against one another nope. because let's suppose that I have low self-esteem that I'm I'm feeling you know less than and somebody reads that then they would be more kind to me maybe I I'm not sure wouldn't that be nice you know or yes. maybe not maybe yes. they would beat me up more I don't know <laughs> <laughs> no I think you're absolutely right that our human mature mode would kick in you know we're coming out of this hostile competition mode into a mature friendly competition and cooperative mode in the world. They do show that children, if left to their own devices, do help one another, that mm -hmm. they don't they don't beat on one another, that their natural tendency is to be helpful, not to hit one another. Or uh, I think that there have been quite a few studies in that way. Yes, you know, we've, we have so focused on the negative emotions in psychology and things like that. It's relatively recent that we have practitioners of happiness in the world and positive emotions teaching people to amplify the positive emotions. And we also see that every time a crisis hits, people get very cooperative. It simply isn't true, the Darwinian model, that hostile competition is the natural human mode. It's not human nature just to be greedy and competitive. Take Fukushima in Japan. It was virtually 100% cooperation among people suddenly deprived of almost everything in life. We're all helping each other, sharing the last bowl of rice, rebuilding each other's houses, showing compassion for each other. This is the natural mature mode in humans, and it kicks in with every crisis. Why do we need crises to do this? Well, if we do need them, we'd better welcome them. 
So do you feel that we're coming into an age of more cooperation? Absolutely. It started with the most ancient bacteria in the world who had two billion years of hostile competition and creativity. And then suddenly, or maybe it took time, we don't know how fast it went, learned how to do divisions of labor and feed their enemies instead of killing them, that that was cheaper and easier energy-wise and formed nucleated cells that were huge cooperatives. And then they were the new life form on the planet and went through their juvenile mode of hostile competition and eventually formed multi-celled creatures. And then we humans came on the scene and we worked toward cooperation in the tribal level. And then we formed bigger societies and they were the new modes and went into empire building, which is again a juvenile mode. So now for 6,000 years, we've been doing empire building up to the current corporate empires, and that's wearing out. We now see that we're reaching the limits on the planet, that we can't exploit nature beyond what we have been. We can't keep overpopulating. You know, we have to start restraint and cooperation in place of our hostile competition. And I do see that kicking in in big ways on the planet. And aren't our our very bodies, our very human bodies, models of that kind of cooperation? Can you say something, being a biologist, can you say something about our human bodies being a model? You bet. Each of us is a colony of up to 100 trillion cells that are working in harmonious cooperation. And within our guts and on our skins, we have 10 times that many little bacteria and so we're, we're colonies of bacteria are our cells, and then the bacteria that we house are even more, and they're regulating our immune system, they're digesting our food, we're absolutely depending on them all, and we've got to make friends with them, because here's the perfect economic model. It's diversity, there's no central authority, the politics are distributed network governance, The money in your cells is free. You've got a thousand banks per cell giving out free money that never has to be repaid because its purpose is simply to grease the economy. Uh, We could be copying all of this and 30,000 recycling centers per cell. What an economy. And the heart doesn't invade the liver. It doesn't tell the liver to be another heart either. No, no, it doesn't. (laughs) It doesn't. It, It respects that diversity. It sees the, the wonders of what you can do when you've got eyes and teeth and knees and guts and hearts and all this diversity, that's division of labor in cooperation, in friendly cooperation. And when we talk about this kind of cooperation, we're not talking about giving up our individual, let's say, ethnicity, uh, like if we do a global cooperation, we're not talking about giving up that. No, like we're saying, the heart doesn't tell the liver to be another heart. It respects it as a liver. And we've got different cultures with different strengths. We've got different sciences with different capabilities. We've got Vedic science in which consciousness produces matter in India. And we've, a lot of us in the West have adopted that one. And then we've got the Western science in which matter develops consciousness. How do we know which one is right? Why can't they both play equally? You know, this is how a cooperative world would work. And I I know that you're looking to do a whole survey of different scientists and to talk about those different assumptions that their particular scientific viewpoint represents. 
Yes, sciences are necessarily based on a set of cultural assumptions about the universe they're studying, because you can't make a theory up about nothing. You have to have some kind of a basic model. And so a science always rests on a set of these unproven assumptions. In the Western science case, for instance, it's a non-living universe. In the Islamic science case, it's a living universe. In the Vedic science case, it's a consciousness universe. And the one believes in a participatory universe where everything you study changes because you're studying it. And the Western science one says, no, we're independent of it. You know, we can study it objectively. So these are the ways you distinguish sciences. They can all use good methodology and do research and analyze results and stuff. That's what makes them a science. But the different underpinnings are important to bring out. And that's what I want to bring out, that there are scientists, even though they've been trained in Western science, they fall back on their own culture's version of the universe. And if we can show that, maybe we have the basis for a cooperative and transparent consortium of sciences in the world that talk to each other the way the religions talk to each other now. Are you optimistic about the future? I sure am, because if our bacterial ancestors could cause global hunger, global pollution, problems just like we create and solve them without benefit of brain, we certainly should be able to do it. And if we study them, if we study our own bodies, if we study the mature ecosystems of nature like rainforests and prairies and coral reefs where everything is interdependent and feeding each other, when we get this mature version of knowing that it is more energy efficient, cheaper to feed your enemies than to kill them, we'll be on our way to global family, a mature version of global family. May it be so. Elizabeth, thank you so much for being with us today. I've been speaking with biologist and futurist Elizabeth Satoris, and she's the author of Earth Dance, Living Systems in Evolution. If you'd like to be in touch with her, you can go to her website, satoris.com. That's spelled S-A-H-T-O-U-R-I-S.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. My name is Justine Willis-Toms, and I really encourage you to please join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.